Hey, everyone. Uh, we are going to dive right into things today. So grab a Bible, open your Bible app, start finding Mark chapter 9. And while you do that, I just want to welcome those of you who are joining us live from one of our campuses. Hello to those of you online uh, watching this, and also to our brothers and sisters who are going to be reading this, uh, who are inside the incarcerated church, and they'll be reading this as a part of CF Inside. It's awesome to be with you guys today. Um, today, we are looking at seven verses, seven verses, that's it. But these are seven verses that contain some of the harshest and most confusing words of Jesus, not just in the book of Mark, but really in any of the four gospel books. And to be honest, it's a little tempting to kind of just read through these and, and skim past them quickly and get on to what's next because it's a little uncomfortable to see this side of Jesus. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. Today, we're going to sit in these seven verses, and we're going to study them and see what God would want to teach us uh, through Jesus' words. And so, you guys ready to dive in and see what he says? This is Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 42. Jesus says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where, and he's quoting Isaiah here, the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Right? That's a little intense. You know, tie a rope around your neck and drown yourself, chop off your hand, pluck out your eyes, worms that never die, and hell. Welcome to church, everyone. <laughs> like, this is going to be a really feel-good message, you know? Um, when I was actually assigned to teach this weekend, I was told I could talk on anything from chapter 9. And so I read the whole chapter, and this is what I chose. <laughs> like, it's the most intense thing in all of chapter 9. But to be honest, that's exactly why I chose it. You see, um, I remember reading these verses when I was a kid, and they, like, freaked me out, right? Like, tie a rope around your neck, drown yourself, and fire that never goes out. Like, it's, it's no wonder these stories never made it into any of the children's illustrated Bibles. Like, could you imagine that? Like, hey, Johnny, let's read our Bible before we go to bed. Here's Jesus multiplying loaves and fish to feed all these people, page turn, and here he is telling you to gouge out your eyes. Good night. <laughs> Would not go over well in any home, that's for sure. Uh, but the reality is, at this point in the book of Mark, uh, everything is starting to focus on the cross. We're getting closer and closer to the cross. And what, what, what uh, Jesus actually says earlier in this chapter is, is he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to be dying soon. He tells them about his impending death two times now. Like, and, and next weekend, we're actually, we're going to shift and start a new series 
Um, we're still gonna be in the book of Mark, but we're gonna change our perspective a little bit uh, to, in, a, in a way that's gonna help us more intentionally prepare for Easter. And, and that's what Mark's doing in his writings as well. He's, he's, he's focusing on the cross. And so Jesus, from here on out, he's gonna get more and more intense in, in the stories that he tells and the things that he, he does. This isn't like your rainbows and puppies, Jesus. Like, this is, he's saying, guys, like, listen up. Pay attention. I'm not gonna be here for much longer. And when I'm gone, like, all of this, the gospel moving forward, the kingdom of God moving forward, it's hinging on you. And, and, so, and so listen up. Here's what we gotta do. And, and to, you know, to be honest, like, when you, when you look at the whole of Mark 9 and, and the context of where these verses fall, uh, there's actually two really important things to make note of that will help us kind of understand what Jesus is trying to say here a little bit better. And the first thing that we need to notice is that Jesus, he's teaching his own disciples here. If you look at verse 30, where uh, this whole train of thought begins, it says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So literally, Jesus, he escapes the crowds, he sneaks into this house, he gets alone with his 12 closest followers, and, and, and that's the context that he starts talking to them about, plucking out their eyes and fires that never go out and all of these warnings. Now, if you are uh, newer to Cornerstone, or maybe you're even still on the fence regarding this whole Jesus thing, like, um, I, I want to make it clear to you that Jesus, he's talking to his disciples here. He's talking to people who have already chosen to follow him. And if that's not you, you haven't made that choice to follow Jesus, that's totally okay. This actually might not be the message that convinces you to do so, but uh, I don't want you to tune out because I think there's something here for everyone. But I think it's so interesting that Jesus, when he's talking about hell and all of these extreme things, he's not talking about people who don't believe in him. He's talking about his followers. The other thing that's really important to notice uh, as far as the context is that Jesus' teaching in this section is all about sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice, especially in the context of relationships with one another. Uh, in, in verse 31, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm about to go to Jerusalem to die, right? His whole life has been marked by suffering and self-sacrifice. And then the very next story you read is of the disciples arguing with one another about who's the greatest, like it's kind of ironic that when Jesus is talking about sacrificing his life, the disciples are talking about fulfilling theirs. When Jesus is counting the cost of discipleships, these guys, they're counting its assets. But Jesus, he's, he's awesome. He's so loving. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. Instead, he just redefines what greatness is. He says, okay, you want to be great? You want to be the best? Well, it doesn't start by arguing with one another about who's the best. It starts by sacrificing for one another. Greatness begins when you serve one another. And we'll actually talk more about that next weekend. Um, and so it's with these two things in mind that Jesus, he's talking to his own disciples, and he's talking and saying these things in the context of, of sacrifice, especially in relation to one another. It's with those two things in mind that let's take a, look, a deeper look at the verses again and see what God might want to teach us today. Look back at verse 42. This is where Jesus says, okay, it would be better for you to tie a stone around your neck and drown yourself at the bottom of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
Okay, who are the little ones that Jesus is talking about? What, it, it says it right there. He's not simply talking about children. It, it says those who believe in me, those who believe in Jesus, but perhaps they have a newer faith or they have a less mature faith than others. These are the little ones that Jesus is talking about. And in the, in the ancient world, grain was actually ground by these uh, cylindrical-shaped st- stones. Um, and they were so heavy, so uh, enormous, that uh, they, they would have to be turned by use of a donkey. A human being couldn't turn it on their own. In addition to this, drowning, it was actually used by the Romans in the first century as a form of capital punishment. And so Jesus, when he says these things, he's actually using very vivid, relatable imagery for his disciples. Like if he were saying it today, he might say like, uh, better for you to tie a, 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 a wrecking ball around your neck and throw yourself in the bottom of the bay. But better for you to live on death row than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And the reason he uses this type of vivid, relatable language is in order to make a memorable point. He wants them to pay attention. And the point he's trying to make is this. How you live your life matters. Think about it. Jesus, he's talking to his 12 leaders. He's pointing out to them the impact and the influence that they will have on every, everyone and anyone who chooses to follow him. And to be honest, like all of us, anyone who's a follower of Jesus, we, um, we set an example to others in how we live, in what we say, in what we do. And so the reality is how I live my life, it matters. How we live our lives matters. It really, really matters because people are watching and they'll be influenced by what we say and do. Can you think of someone in your life who, uh, when you look at their example, at how they live, it actually gives you a clearer picture of who Jesus is? Right, maybe, maybe it's in the way they love God or the way they love you or others or serve others. Billy Graham, he was the world's most well-known evangelist. He just passed away on Wednesday. And and he, probably for countless people, including myself, was an example of someone who lived a life that that showed you more about who Jesus is. But I also bet, like for many of us, we could think of people who when we look at their life, when we look at the example they set, it actually causes us to doubt whether or not this whole Jesus thing is even legit. Because of, of the hypocrisy that we see lived out, maybe because of the evil that we've, we've seen done to us or done to someone else. I have a friend who grew up in a Christian home. His, his mom and dad brought him to church every single weekend. They, they had him read his Bible. They prayed together for meals. And yet that same dad who was doing all of these Christian things physically abused him growing up. And that religious hypocrisy, it it caused him to experience an immeasurable amount of pain and scars. It caused him to walk away from church, to walk away from God. He has major trust issues with God. And since he's come back to church, he's come back to God, he's finding healing. But man, it's a long journey. And Jesus would say, it is better for you to tie a stone around your neck and drown in the bottom of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's serious. And this word stumble here, it's actually the Greek word, uh, it's the Greek word skandalizo. It's where we get, uh, we derive our English word scandal from. 
And it means that, that you actually set up a, a barricade or some kind of impediment in the way in order for someone to trip or fall. It means that you entice someone to sin or you actually cause them to lose trust, to cease believing as a result. The reality is, is that how we live our life matters. And so a good question that that we could ask ourselves is, what kind of example am I setting with my life? Like not just in what I say, but what in people actually see me do at home, at work, at the grocery store? Am I doing things, am I setting an example that would, that would draw someone closer to the love and hope of Jesus or am I setting an example in a way that would push them further from him? Here's another good question we could ask ourselves. Who are the eyes that are watching my life? Like can you think of, of specific People, specific faces that come to your mind right now. The reality is, is that people associate who Jesus is by what they see you and me doing. That's a sobering fact. Like once someone finds out, hey, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I go to church, like a radar goes off. And, and, and maybe it's, it's in the way that we treat our neighbors or the way we treat our spouses or the way we treat the waiter at the restaurant or people online or the people we're driving next to on the freeway. Some of you guys, you're like, I'm fine people watching my example elsewhere, but please don't watch my example when I'm driving. I actually have a friend who um, has found a unique way of dealing with their road rage, I would say. Um, Whenever someone cuts them off or, or they get frustrated at another driver, instead of driving past them and showing them maybe a not so, uh, not, a not so nice gesture with their finger, um, instead they just drive past them and go. <laughs> like give them a thumbs down. And the best part is people have no idea how to respond to that. <laughs> I actually think it makes some people angrier. Like they'd rather be flipped with the bird than get a thumbs down. <laughs> the point is, we all carry the name of Jesus with us wherever we go. The Apostle Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. And when you choose to follow Jesus, that's not something you choose whether you want to do or not. No, it comes, it comes with the whole package. If you follow Christ, you represent him wherever you go. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is being conscious of that reality every single day of your life. See, one of the burdens that is on me is that there are many young women at Cornerstone who look to me as a young female Christian leader. And, and now I don't, I don't carry that weight in like an overwhelming burden in some sense, but I absolutely carry that responsibility with me every single day. It influences what I do, the, the decisions that I make. And it doesn't mean I have to be perfect uh, and in fact, I'm not. I mess up all the time. I, I, there have probably even been instances in my life in ministry where I've, I've unintentionally caused someone else to stumble. Like perfection is not the standard. Jesus isn't asking me to not make any mistakes, but I absolutely do have to live with a daily realization that my life matters and how I live it matters. And the reality is for anyone who is a follower of Jesus, we all carry this responsibility. 
And so it means that we sacrifice in certain ways. It means that we refrain from doing certain things or, or, we, or we hold back in certain ways so that the example that we set could lead someone closer to Jesus as opposed to further from him. Jesus says, it'd be better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the bottom of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And that is a stern warning. But he cares about his kids. He's a protective daddy. He says, don't mess with my kids. He says, take this seriously. Realize that your life is an example. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. And then the warnings continue. Look at verse 43. The warnings continue, but the perspective shifts. Jesus changes from talking about things we do that cause other people to stumble to now he's talking about things we do that would cause ourselves to stumble. And he says, when you come across those things, take it seriously. And he gets extreme with it. He says, chop off your hand. Chop off your foot. Pluck out your eye. Growing up, my mom would say things like, Peggy, don't run with scissors. You'll pluck your eye out. Well, technically, Mom, Jesus says I can't. So I'm like, no, that is not, that's not what he means here. Jesus is not advocating for some like morbid form of physical torture in order to get ourselves into heaven. No, again, he's using hyperbole. He's, he's using verbal exaggeration in order to make a point. And the point that I believe he's trying to make is he's asking his disciples this. He's asking them to give up something now for something greater later. Give up something now for something greater later. What do I mean by that? It's like that, uh, that marshmallow experiment a Stanford professor did in the 60s where they'd, they'd get a kid alone in the room and they'd set a marshmallow in front of them. And they'd say, you could eat this marshmallow right now or you can wait 15 minutes and I'll come back. And if you haven't eaten it yet, I'll give you two marshmallows or I'll give you a cookie or an ice cream sundae, like something way better. It's this idea of instant gratification versus delayed gratification. It's like what we, uh, it's like those Olympic athletes we've been watching the last several weeks, right? Where they, and they intentionally give up their time in order to train more. They, they intentionally give up eating food that's bad for them in order to keep their bodies in peak condition so that they can perform at the highest levels of their sports. I feel like that applies to all Olympic athletes except the curlers. I think the curlers can eat whatever they want. <laughs> Right? If you're a curler, sorry, I don't mean to. That's awesome. I love curling. I only watch it every four years, but I love it. <laughs> it's this idea of being willing to give up that immediate gratification for something that, yes, will be delayed, but will be way better. And Jesus, he's asking all of us, hey, examine your life. Identify the, the things in your life that are causing you to sin, that are causing you to stumble, that, are, that keep tripping you up, and ruthlessly cut those things from your life. Because the, the reality is, what we do today determines where we end up tomorrow. Like, there's no getting around it. Your, your present is always tied to your future. What we do today will, will influence where we end up tomorrow. And the things that we think aren't that big of a deal today may be the very things that take us out tomorrow. The sin that we refuse to just deal with today may be the very thing that destroys us tomorrow. And Jesus would say, is it really worth holding on to? 
give up something now for something greater later. I think the examples of eyes and hands and feet is very intentional by Jesus here. Because when you think about it, those three things, they're all inclusive of what we view, what we do, and where we go. I think a question that would be great for us to spend some time praying about this week is this. When it comes to what I view, what I do, and where I go, what things do I need to cut out of my life? What I view, what I do, where I go. What I view, what I do, where I go. Everyone, say it with me. Ready? What I view, what I do, where I go. What do I need to cut out? Growing up, there was this song I sang all the time in Sunday school. It's called, Oh, Be Careful, Little Eyes. Anyone ever heard of it? Oh, some of you haven't? Well, let me introduce you to this little musical treasure. (laughs) It goes like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above who's looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then it goes on to the next verse, and it says, Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. And then the next verse is, Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the father, you get it, okay? Now here's, no, don't clap for that, seriously. (laughs) Guys, I understand, I have other strengths, okay? You don't need to applaud my weaknesses. It's okay, I'm very self-aware. Singing is not my gift, it's okay. Here's the reason I publicly humiliate myself in front of all of you. Some of us need to remember that stupid Sunday school song. Like, we need to memorize it. Because we keep forgetting how important it is. We keep viewing things that we should not be viewing. We keep doing things that we should not be doing. We we keep going places right here in the Bay Area that we should not be going. And Jesus says, hey, cut it off. Like, I don't know how to be any more straightforward with you. I'm trying to get your attention. These things will destroy you. You may think, it's no big deal. I've got it under control. I can handle it. Things are going just fine. But the reality is, down the road, these are the things that will destroy our lives. They're the things that will destroy our relationships. They're the things that will destroy our witness as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus would say, is it really worth holding on to? Give up something now. Just give it up. Hands down, the person who I have seen live this out most courageously in their life is my husband, Garrett. In the fall, during our Playing With Fire series, we sat up here and we talked to all 6,000 of you guys about how Garrett's struggle with pornography affected our marriage early on. You want to know what the turning point was in all of that? The turning point was not when he admitted to me what he was struggling with. The turning point was not when we set up filters and accountability softwares on all of our devices and we started tackling this thing. The turning point was when Garrett started taking these verses seriously. The turning point was when he started to ruthlessly cut the stuff out of his life. He identified every single little area or avenue that he might even be able to access something in the slightest, and he told me about it, and he set up parameters around it. Like, he left no stone unturned. He gave up his right to secrecy and and privacy and instead committed to being fully transparent with myself and with everyone else. 
He spent so much time by himself and, and with God and, and getting counsel from other people. Because he wanted, he wanted to allow the Holy Spirit to work on the root issues. He didn't just want a Band-Aid quick fix. Like, he wanted true healing. He gave up things like any type of social media. Cable television. He gave up Sports Center. Because, no, like, seriously? Which I was kind of a little mad about because I love Sports Center. Anyways, never mind. That's neither here nor there. That wasn't supposed to be a funny moment. <laughs> he gave those things up because he didn't want to waste his downtime with meaningless things. Like he wanted to be intentional with carving out time to, to be able to spend time in the word and in prayer and worshiping God. And so he said, yeah, I'll get rid of it. Like the sheer, the level of inconvenience that he put himself through intentionally, on a daily basis, it was astronomical. I mean, he would have friends or, or co-workers, some who are believers, some who are not believers, and they, they couldn't believe this stuff. Like, they'd make fun of him and tease him, like, seriously, you gotta do that? He made drastic changes. Changes that were difficult. Changes that were probably as difficult as, as how challenging it would be to chop off your own hand. Man, man he would say... Everything he gave up, it was 100% completely worth it. Because there's something greater later. Now, I think it's important when we're talking about cutting sin out of our lives, we're not simply talking about making a list of things we can and can't do anymore. Dallas Willard, he was a great theologian. He, he said sometimes we can reduce our Christianity to, do, to just... Uh, don't do this and don't do that. He, he called it the gospel of sin management. And he said, that's a false gospel though because that doesn't actually deal with the wickedness inside of my own heart. Like Jesus, he wants to deal with the root issue. Jesus, he wants to give me a new heart. He's the only one that can do that. Jesus, he, he's the only one that can make me into a new creation. He's the only one that can give me the strength and the resolve to, to be able to one day at a time participate with the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live this out. It's not just about me trying harder. But it absolutely starts with us saying, hey, I've got this stuff in my life that's causing me to stumble and I need to cut it out by whatever means necessary. Notice, notice the word hell that's used quite often in these verses. It's actually the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place in Jesus' day. Uh, it referred to this place called the Hinnom Valley that actually ran alongside the southwestern corner of the old city of Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament days, uh, it was actually a detestable site. It was a place that was used for child sacrifices. In Jesus' day, it was Jerusalem's city dump. It, it was where all of their trash would get dumped. It, they, they would even dump corpses there. Uh, there, there, was, there was so much decay and death and garbage that there was worms everywhere that would just feed off of that bacteria, and the worms would never die because there's so much bacteria for them to thrive off of. 
there would be literally a fire burning constantly in that place because it, it would be always consuming all the trash. It was a nasty place. And once again, Jesus, he's using very vivid, relatable imagery in order to make a point. He's saying that when, when you are examining your life and, and when you identify those areas in your life, that, that sin that you need to cut out, he said, don't just think about the here and now. Think about the big picture. And that big picture is eternity. Jesus says, hey, there are very real eternal consequences or there are very real eternal rewards. Last weekend, Pastor Billy did a great job talking to us, at least in part, about what heaven will be like. Like heaven's not gonna be some boring place where we're just floating around in choir robes singing hymns for all of eternity. I just heard Becky saying, I'm not going if that's true. <laughs> Man, heaven is a place where the deepest desires of our souls will finally be met. Heaven's a place where we'll be more ourselves than we've ever been. Except we'll be fully perfected. Like, I'll be the most Becky I've ever been, except I'll be Becky without all of the pride and perfectionism and, and anxiety and insecurities and disappointments that I carry in this temporary life. Not only that, but like, our relationships with one another are gonna be perfected. Like, think about it. No more selfishness or lust or judgment or gossip or abuse. Like, all of that is gone. I mean, when you look at the big picture of eternity, these little things that, that, that seem like they have such a tight grasp on us now, they, 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 they're no longer as important. Because there is nothing worth trading for your eternity. No possession, no relationship, no sin, no temporary indulgence or pleasure is worth trading for your eternity. The reality is, though, as ideal, as, as appealing as our picture of eternity of heaven might be, if we don't actually trust Jesus... Like, if we don't actually believe that what he is saying is true and is ultimately good, we'll always be tempted to, to hold on to the things of this temporary life. I think sometimes it's easy to view God as, like, a fun ruiner. You know, have you heard, like, people are like, I became a Christian and then I had to stop having fun. See, when God is telling us to cut these things out of our life, he's not doing it to ruin our fun. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Like, he's doing it because he wants what's best for us. And guess what? He's our creator. He doesn't just want what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. See, Jesus' heart here is not about uh, 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 getting us to give up stuff that's gonna give us fun. No, his heart here is love. He's giving us these warnings. He's trying to get our attention in drastic ways because he loves us. When I tell Hudson, hey, don't touch that hot stove, it's not because I want to take away his fun. It's because I love him and I know what's best for him and I'm going to warn him when harm is coming his way. 
what kind of mother would I be if I didn't? You're a child of God. He loves you. Like, what kind of father would he be if he didn't warn you? Take this seriously. Do you trust him? In just a moment, we're gonna have our worship leaders on all of our campuses come back out and they're gonna lead us in one more song. But I wanna close with this. There is a missionary, an American missionary, his name's Jim Elliott. And Jim actually lost his life on the mission field while he was attempting to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a remote village of people in Ecuador in the 1950s. There's a movie, it's called End of the Spear. It, 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 it tells Jim's story as well as the story of the other men who lost their lives as well. It's awesome. And I remember reading a, a biography about him in middle school, and in it there was this quote by Jim that I've never forgotten. He said this, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Jim was literally someone who sacrificed everything, even his very life, because he fully believed that there was nothing that this world could offer, nothing that this life could offer that would be better than eternity, that would be worth trading for Jesus. And he believed that to be true, not just for himself, but for every single person. And so he literally sacrificed everything, even his very life, so that other people could come to know the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Church, when we read these verses and we study these words of Jesus, it can absolutely feel harsh and confusing. But when you look at the big picture, when you look at eternity, when your focus is Jesus Christ and you trust him, everything else pales in comparison. We would be no fools to give up what we cannot keep in order to gain what we could never lose. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good God. You're a loving God. And you love us so much, in fact, that you can't sit idle while you watch there be sin in our life that is destroying us. And so you warn us. You capture our attention as drastically as you need to to get the point across. Cut this out of your life. It's not worth holding on to. God, I pray for every person in this room who can hear the sound of my voice, God, that right now you would be showing them specific things in their life that they need to give up, that they need to cut out, that they need to sacrifice in order to be able to grasp the greater things that you have for them, both in this life and in the life to come. God, I pray that you wouldn't just show them what those things are, but that you would give us the courage and the resolve and the strength to actually be able to live that out. God, that we would surrender to the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. 
And however difficult, however challenging it might be, however unpleasant and painful it might be to weed these things out, God, that we would allow that process to take place because our end goal is eternity. Our focus is you, Lord, and we trust you. Father, we love you. Allow us to be a witness worthy of your name. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.